0: Brett, have you ever talked to someone that's earned eight Academy Awards, 11 Grammys, one Tony, and one Emmy? Not that I can recall. Well, you're going to today because we have our interview with Alan Menken.
1: I only hope that we never lose sight of one thing, that was all started by a mouse.
0: Hello everyone out there in podcast land, this is the Beyond the Mouse podcast, the podcast for all things Disney, for NPR Illinois Community Voices, and for the Front Row Network i am your host today craig i'm joined today by an illustrious panel of co-hosts first of all mr brett rutherford how are you sir good
2: thanks very good
0: and also vanessa ferguson
3: i'm doing illustriously well that is
0: wonderful that is wonderful we also are bringing in the boss we're bringing in
4: the editor-in-chief of the front row network mr jeremy geckner how are you sir I'm fine. I'm only here because, you know, the complaints are starting to mount quite a bit. So, you know, we need a little bit of supervision now, but that's okay. That's okay.
0: Actually, Jeremy is here for a very special reason. We are excited to bring you our interview with Alan Menken, Disney legend Alan Menken, EGOT winner Alan Menken. Uh, The name is just synonymous with the Disney Renaissance and also really all Disney films over the last, say, 30 to 40 years. It's just incredible the amount of work that he has done, also bringing musicals to the stage. I'm so excited for this opportunity that we had the other day and excited to bring you this interview because I think we go into a lot of really cool areas and conversation pieces with Alan. Uh, Jeremy, your thoughts on the interview that we had and that we're going to be presenting to our audience today.
4: Yeah, it's it's an incredible uh, thing to talk to somebody this legendary. Um, it's, uh, you know, I we made mention of it in there, but I did study the music of Alan Menken for two years in college in my music composition program. And the amount of creativity this, this man has fostered into the world is, is just insane. And when you start seeing his resume, it's, you know, a lot of people might not know all of the songs and all of the music he's written in his career. And it usually does just blow you away. Even somebody that studied him, I always go to his IMDb. I'm like, Oh, right. He wrote that. Um, So um, it's just incredible to get to talk to somebody that is that creative and that shaped so many childhoods uh, just with the, the gifts that he has inside.
0: His music impacts millions of people daily. That's just incredible. Vanessa, your thoughts on the interview we had uh, that you're all going to get to listen to in just a moment.
3: Oh, well, you all are in for a treat because Alan and I curate a menu, a dinner menu, and you'll see soon what I'm talking about. Enjoy. Enjoy.
0: I'm positive that he usually does not get that question in interviews, so I'm excited for our audience to hear that. Brett, you're the last person standing in the way of our interview with Alan Menken. What are your thoughts before we get into it?
2: Well, I know that we're recording this you know, after the fact, but I'm, I, I'm still wearing the same clothes because I haven't moved, because I've just been stunned with the excitement of an Alan Menken interview, so I, let's do that.
0: Without any further ado, here is our interview with Disney legend, EGOT winner, just all around amazing, phenomenally talented person, Alan Mankin. We are truly honored to bring to the show Alan Mankin. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing? just doing, I'm on cloud nine, actually, it's just (laughs) a tremendous honor to get to speak to you. Um, And I get to the honor of asking our first question. And we are trying to give you some new questions that maybe you hadn't had before. Uh, But I do have to start with one that you probably get often asked and that is uh, last year you earned your Emmy and so now you are one of 16 people to have been awarded with the EGOT uh, and I know you also often bring up you have a Razzie as well um, but what's that feeling like to have such a recognition of your whole body of work like that?
1: Well it's, it's nice it's very nice um, I'll give you a, a truly honest answer I think You know an egot is sort of a construction so to speak of these awards and we make it into a big deal and it's very very gratifying and there's you know obviously there's a lot of incredible people who have not won egots who are nonetheless for it um it was nice to get it out of the way since everyone asked me about it and i and I, I, I really wasn't thinking about it until people started asking me about it. I said, "Oh, okay, I guess I got to get this egot thing." But yeah, it's nice. It it, it is nice. I have, I have no complaints about it. So it's nice.
0: That's wonderful, Vanessa. You have our next question.
3: Yes. Well, we are very much enjoying meeting you. We've learned uh, more about your career and researching for this interview, but we also want to learn more about who you are. I'm the daughter of a pianist, so I know what it's like to see my parent is not a musician, but just as mom. To us, of course, you are a legendary composer, Alan Menken, but how would your family describe you? Who who are you?
1: I mean, certainly my career has, has played a you know, major role, I guess, in their lives. Um, I'm dad, totally. I'm Janice's husband. Um, Janice and I are kind of opposites in a way. Janice is very detail oriented and very every little thing. And I tend to be sort of, you know, the the artist with his head in the clouds a bit. Um, and so, she, you know, she's always reminding me, Alan, get your head out of the clouds. <laughs> um, and that's, you know, I think it's we're a pretty normal family, given the extraordinary things that have also obviously got into uh, my life and career. I mean, not every kid gets to grow up, you know, sort of at Disney World, so to speak, or at the Oscars. And, and in a way, it's it's really nice for them. And in a way, it makes life more difficult for them, to be honest. Um, it It really raises expectations in a way that is not fair for them and i've made it look like fun and clearly it's hard work so it's a it's a mixed bag you know being the child of somebody who is um in the business and especially one who has achieved um you know some real notoriety and um i wouldn't trade it because it's it's essentially who i am that that connection to music that connection to music in in stories and songs that's very deep connection for me um so it's really important to me and it 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 does shape a lot of of who i am but also you know when i'm done here i'm going to go into the house and i actually am the cook and make dinner and (laughs) and janice and i will you know watch our mysteries or whatever you know it's 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 just life,
3: yeah, yeah, I love that. What are you making tonight?
1: Well, I'm actually defrosting a chicken uh, um, <laughs> it may not be defrosted at the time. I might make some veggie burgers. Thank you for asking those.
3: <laughs> we'll come over for dinner as soon as we're done with this.
1: <laughs> I'd be a disappointment, but come on over, shoot.
4: <laughs> no, I hear you there. I'm actually uh I'm uh, cooking uh, tonight as well. I have my wife always works late at night, so I always have to cook too. So There you go. We'll trade some recipes sometimes. Um, Okay, great. So uh, Craig already embarrassed me enough saying that I studied your work for two years um, in college. Um, But in that time, it wasn't uh, so much the songs that that got me as much as your scores that you wrote for these films. And I just, those songs stand out to me so much just in the way they incorporate those songs we've already heard in the melodies of the underscores. Um, And it, it really reminds me of Broadway shows, how they like to do that. Uh, is this something that you've insisted on doing ever since the start of your career? like, Dave, you insisted you wanted to do the score for the films as well? Well,
1: no, I didn't start out insisting at all. And in fact, you know the first experience I had in films really was, I suppose the the film version of Little Shop of Horrors. And in that instance, uh, i i I didn't even think to, you know to uh, to do the score um we were really working in theater and and the the movie came out and then we found out alan little shop's been nominated for best score i went wow great and look it up his best score miles goodman and miles goodman he's that passed away he was a very talented film scorer Uh, but miles basically wrote i think eight or nine minutes of adaptation Sort of, you know, interstitial music, and most of the underscore was what we had had already for the stage show. But I was not eligible for any recognition because I'd already written it for the stage show. So when we, when Howard and I then did Little Mermaid, he said, "You should score it." I said, "But I've never. I don't. I I don't know how to do that. And learn." And so I learned, and Little Mermaid was actually my first film score, and uh, it was, of course, it, you know, won me an Oscar, which I, you know, amazed by. It's it's a very simple, um, unsophisticated score, and it 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 use a uses the the themes from the songs, but also it also introduces new themes throughout it was very successful. And I did find that I, I loved scoring and, and yes, I primarily enjoy scoring as in the context of songs. Um, there's this, there's something extra in the, um, when a message is coming through songs, especially, you know, songs that come from story and then infuse the rest of the, the underscore that's really powerful. So I think of each of these scores in a way as one work and then also as individual elements as well. Um, and now it's, it's something, um, you know, that I'm, that I'm used to, but again, with, with, with uh, Little Mermaid, I said, oh, okay, I'll try it. So.
4: So you want an Oscar your first time out. That's, that's about right.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I first three times out I won yeah. three <laughs> times out. Not I won two Oscars counting, each yeah, time. And then they changed the rules. And we still won an Oscar for for Pocahontas. And I finally stopped winning Oscars with Hunchback of Notre Dame, which may be my best score.
4: Yeah, boo to um, that. (laughs) Oh, man.
1: But, you know, I mean, a lot of that is, yes, it's the quality of the score, but it's also the amount amount that the score actually influences and drives the storyline. And with a musical, it's allowed to it's mm. in fact your job to drive it so you do have an extra sort of advantage so that for a while they 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 said okay we're going to separate scores that are purely underscore and then scores that are from song driven uh projects uh and then they just disqualified scores that are from <laughs> song driven projects um though it's you know no one's quite figured out how to how to do the comparison between a pure underscore without songs or an underscore with one song that you're just kind of using or a full score it's mm. they're all you know sort of different animals in a way
0: Brett you had our next question
2: well i'm very curious how you find a balance between work and personal life is it is it fly fishing or meditation um competitive badminton perhaps <laughs> i mean <laughs> you seem to have found the secret that allows you to consistently no no well, work. you
1: know what you you know um one of the curses of of from from not a, it's not a curse it's just what it's just reality. I don't really have a lot of hobbies because this is sort of an obsession for me. Um, yeah, I mean, I enjoy my time at home. I, um, we have a house in the Caribbean. I love going down there with the family and what you know when we get my 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 girls are grown now. They're, I enjoy, I do play tennis and occasionally narrowly avoid killing somebody with a golf ball. Um, and yes, I do actually meditate, um, Mm -hmm. to a degree, but yeah, this is, I think one of the common elements for people who are as prolific as I am is it's kind of like, (laughs) this is what I do every day. It's not, and it's not necessarily a matter of discipline. It's just a matter of it's, it's A, the way I'm built and B, the way I'm conditioned after all these years. It's just my studio is like my, you know, sure. my home. Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Well, you have seem to find the secret that allows you to consistently create work that's beautiful and fresh. And yet you're unburdened, at least it appears to be, by your previous work and huge success. So congratulations uh, on you. that. At but, least it appears that way.
1: No, I, well, no, I don't. Yeah, to me they're like, you know, you have your children, you know, your children grow up and go out into the world and they have their own lives. And for me, my shows have their own lives. I don't, you know, um, I don't want to control what happens with every production of Little Shop of Horrors or or Beauty and the Beast or whatever, you know. Um, there are those involved who will be more, a little more uh, involved with every sort of facet of each production. I'm, to me, I've said this before i'm sure you've heard this i i think of myself like an architect who designs a structure that others will live in and except when i'm when i do my concerts where i go on stage and i perform the songs really it is they are part of a structure that um you set in motion and then it's it's out in the world um and i i love that um yeah yeah
0: There's just something so great to hearing you perform those songs, by the way. And uh, (laughs) you were doing a lot of that for raising funds during COVID. So thank you for that. But my question was uh, that we're going back to the beginning. There, there is kind of this legendary tale, and I wanted to know if it's accurate or not, that Roy Disney and Jeffrey Katzenberg come and see Little Shop of Horrors, and then they decide that they uh, need to take Howard Ashman and Alan Menken and, and get them to Disney. Well, if, if, I'd, lo- I'd love to know where you heard that tale.
1: I've never heard that tale, personally. Here's what I think basically happened. I, don't, I mean, I don't think Roy came to see much Music, especially off product musical theater. Although Roy was the keeper of the flame as far as wanting animation to come back with the power that it had, you know, in the heyday of of Walt's classics. When we did Little Shop of Horrors, we had three producers. In New York, we had this Albert Poland and the Schubert Organization. In London, Cameron McIntosh, and in Los Angeles, David Geffen. The three of them, the three people but also entities in a way um, first had partnered do, in doing cats which was the same time as little shop so that entity came and said let's do little shop of horrors so uh it, i believe it was probably david geffen who got to know howard and got to know howard's amazing talent who sort of whispered in the ear of i think jeffrey kassenberg who had then come over mm. with that new regime of of um,
0: Michael Michael Eisner and
1: and, um, Frank Wells and Jeffrey Katzenberg and others um, to run Disney. And I'm sure uh, David Geffen whispered in Jeffrey Katzenberg's ear and said that Ashman guy, he he really understands how to use um, songs and musical styles to drive a story. And they, as I remember, they came to him with three different projects to consider. One was the the Tina Turner autobiography, which is called I, Tina. And that became what's love got to do with it. I think Howard did a treatment of that. Um, and and uh, a live action thief of Baghdad, which found its way into um, our work on Aladdin, and The Little Mermaid. And Howard said that's the one that he was interested in. And then Howard had a choice as to whether to come back and work with me or to continue. He had he had done a, a musical called Smile with the late Marvin Hamlish, and Howard came back to work with me. And um, and it was uh, amazing timing. And of course, for me, it was amazing timing because all, all the VHSs, you know, the, the, people probably don't know what VHS means anymore. The videotapes of, of the Disney classics was the first time you could actually see these movies without waiting five years for the re-release and going to the theaters. And I would sit and watch it with my daughters and it was just going, Oh my God, this stuff is incredible. And it's, especially as a, as a parent with a child and in a time that's kind of dark at that time was when the AIDS crisis was rearing its you know head and, and, um, to sit and watch those was just, it was the most amazing safe space in the world. Mm-hmm. And then I get this call from Howard say hey maybe you want to work together on this thing and um,
0: it was a little mermaid it's just incredible thank you for walking us through it because that that moment those you two coming to disney it it means so much to million literally millions of people that that happens so so thank you for that uh vanessa believe me yeah
3: (laughs) So I'm glad you brought up Little Shop of Horrors because we would be remiss if we didn't ask you a, a little bit about it. Uh, so I know you share this story often, but I just love that your father's background was actually a dentist. All and your, the men in my family. family.
4: Yeah, all so could you life. kind
3: of tell us about that and their reaction to the show?
1: Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, uh, so my grandfather, who I was initially named after he actually, because my real first name is Irwin. Irwin Allen Menken. It was Irwin Menken and had an office on 120th Street and Third Avenue in, in Manhattan. And then his sons, um, Norman and George, worked then became dentists and worked in the office. Um, George then became an orthodontist, but he, and then my mother's sister's husband was a dentist. My father's sister's husband, was a dentist. My cousins were dentists. It was just, that was number one. Number two, um, my dad was also a pioneer in the use of nitrous oxide. Um, and he, he was actually president of the New York chapter of the American Analgesia Society at the time that I wrote little shop. And, but you know, Howard and I, um, took on this story and uh, we couldn't figure out how are we going to end act, Act one, and how is Seymour going to commit the first murder? And in the movie, he's he's standing, I think, on a bridge and he he just gets frustrated and he throws a bottle and it hits a bum in the head and the bum falls over and he feeds it to Audrey, too. Is that I think it's going to necessarily work. I mean, maybe it would, but, you know, for a musical, you really want things to be more motivated, more connected. And Howard had already made something out of the dentist, the, the sadistic dentist in the original movie being, um, Audrey's boyfriend. So I thought knowing about nitrous oxide, wouldn't it be funny if maybe he likes to give himself the nitrous oxide and he asphyxiates himself by getting the mask stuck and Howard thought that was hilarious. And so that's what we did. And then as I always did, I, I had a cassette of the songs and I, um, uh, I, I said, let my parents hear the show I was working on. So I sent it to them and, I get a call from my mother on the, the answering machine. Boop. Hi, Alan. <laughs> it's mom. We heard the, <laughs> the tape. Oh, uh, okay. Blink. Um, <laughs> so I come home. <laughs> and, and I go, uh, and Janice goes, oh, I th- maybe m-. she's just so moved. I said, I don't think so. So I call up and she goes, Well, how would you feel if you had devoted your life to promoting the use of nitrous oxide as safe? And your son's right, like this show where a man laughs himself to death. I'm like, And I felt terrible. I called Howard. I said, Oh my God, what are we going to do? What are we going to He just laughed. Um, <laughs> and of course, the show opened, became a big hit. And my father uh, and my mother certainly forgot very quickly about any uh misgivings they had and in fact you know when the dentist would say look Seymour this could happen to you and he holds up this this hideous picture of teeth or an x-ray or whatever it would be that was from my originally from my father's patients
3: such a good story I love that thank you for sharing that again
4: sure you know we're all Broadway fanatics here but I have to ask you about newsies for a second if I may because uh, when I first went to college, that was the first time I ever saw that movie. It was my freshman year in college, like you know, 13 or 14 years after its release. But that movie took on such a cult following, and the fans of that movie kept it so alive that now it's a very, very famous and, and well, successful yeah. Broadway. <laughs>
1: of course, and, and of course, the the biggest um, example of how how crazy and almost absurd that juxtaposition is, the night of, of the Oscars for Beauty and the Beast, I had, four nom- I had three best song nominations and a best score nomination, and I won the song and I won score. And I go backstage, a, a, a journalist says, well, how does it feel to win the Razzie for worst song of the year? And I said, what? I, thought, what? I, I said, oh, from Newsies, uh, High Times, Hard Times from Newsies, because it was an enormous flop. It was an enormous flop. And you fast forward, I don't know how many decades, and I win my first and only Tony Award for Newsies, the the stage musical of Newsies. So the movie took on a real cult following in the years that followed its completely disastrous uh, opening in theaters. First, you know, on tape and then um, on cable and then Kids just really responded to the, I think, well, the songs, primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe a young Christian Bale didn't hurt. Um, <laughs> and um, years, years later, when um, Tom Schumacher at Disney said, we want to do a stock at amateur version of Newsies because people were pirating it all over the place. They were, like, taking down the dialogue from the movie and finding the songs and just going in camps and at schools doing their own versions of it. Disney notices that kind of thing and said, "Let's do a stock and amateur version, so at least have something." But Alan, you don't have to worry about. It. We'll get someone else to do the new songs. But I just want to let you know. And I said, "No, no, 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 no." no. I was wondering this. You actually told them, "No, I'm doing this." No, no. Yes, my baby. I wouldn't. My, what whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I can't let go of my. I can let go of my babies when they're written and they're out in the world, but when it comes to actually writing new material, I want. To do that um, whenever possible. So well, um, so I said, no, I want to do this. And they said, okay, reset. <laughs> um, and eventually I was here. It was Jack Feldman and I wrote the songs. And I was here in this very studio, right over there. Harvey Fireson was sitting there. We were talking about doing, actually, we were talking about doing um kinky boots. Um, and he saw the dvd of, of Newsy sitting there and he goes watch this um and uh I, I told him you know we're he said oh i know what you should do with that um i said really and i quickly you know got in touch with tom schumacher at disney and said harvey fiersley would like to write the book on this When you're interested so let's talk anyway you know next thing you know boom
4: yep I mean, it's incredible, and I think that you're right that it's the music, I think, that kept that alive, because speaking as a college that was trying to, you know, uh, do those amateur productions in hallways uh, of our dorm room, um, everybody was just dancing, seize the day everywhere. Uh, I went to a very strange college. <laughs> oh, it's not strange at all. I, I remember walking into the local mall,
1: and I hear dum 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 dum, dum and they go and seize the day, or in the banner, or the world will know, and go, whoa,
0: look what's going on here. So actually, you know, it's, it's great because you mentioned those kids growing up on Newsies, and we actually have a couple of friends that will be staging Newsies in the relatively near future, and they're just so excited uh, to be able to do that too. So it does continue to live on. Um, but Brett, I know that you had a question about D23.
2: At D23 Expo 2013, you shared the stage with a fellow Disney legend, Richard Sherman. And at the press line after the concert, Richard said that after hearing yours and Howard's the little mermaid and beauty and the beast he said it's coming back the great disney music which i mean that's an amazing right. compliment and certainly he's a,
1: a, l- re- he's a really lovely man well, can um can you tell
2: re- us a little bit about him or the concert oh, or your well friends, i right? do
1: remember um i remember on the night of the oscars for aladdin you know we we finished the we have the awards in our hands and we go to the disney's having a uh, you know he goes to various parties one was a Disney party and I get there and I come in and the first person waiting for us is Richard and Elizabeth um and it was just so touching it was so touching um and it, you know means the world he's he's a you know the Sherman Brothers wrote wonderful wonderful songs and had obviously wonderful movies And they passed the torch and did it with love. And it was, uh, it was really special to have that, you know, that kind of uh, welcome from, from him.
0: You know, what's great is that you're sitting there and you mentioned that you're in your studio and it's just incredible to think about the, Uh, amount of music that has come from your studio, and in particular, you seem to be able to kind of reinvent your sound and bring in different cultures and bring in so much into your music. Your scores uh, hardly look alike or sound alike, and there's always this kind of new musical identity that you take on. Is that something that you go out and choose those types of projects to find new uh, challenges for yourself, or...?
1: Yeah, I mean, to a degree, or I try to find a musical style that will be unique to a project. So either, it'll, you know, I mean, in the, in the, I was approached to do the stage musical of Sister Act. Um, by, uh, It was by Peter Schneider, who had been, uh, well, he was the head of the studio at one point, but he also had been I knew Peter from, from all the way back to when he was company manager for Little Shop of Horrors, Off-Broadway, and then was... Um, vice president in charge of animation at Disney and then worked his way up to the big head of the studio. Uh, but then when he left, one of the things he wanted to do was direct. And he was initially developing Sister Act as a state musical. And I thought, mm, what do I want to do with this? Because it's, you know, that R&B and Motown sound really is very much Little Shop World. And I would I, I had always thought There has not been a a, a stage musical with a storyline that's driven by um, disco and 70s style of of pop music, which is a very special um, kind of uh, blend of of styles. And um, when we did, you know, Aladdin. And you think, well, is it all going to be just Middle Eastern influenced music and really the main idea was we wanted to do that wink at the Hollywood take on the mysterious East. And that, you know, it goes back to the Fleischer cartoons and it goes to certainly to the road pictures of, of Bob Hope and Big Crosby. And then when it came to, uh, the genie, when you went in the storyline, the genie of the ring, um, this genie of the, of the lamp and genie of the ring. Genie of the ring is described as being, being uh, black and having an earring. And it's kind of like a hipster. So Harlem jazz came to mind. Um, so th- this whole fats waller style just, you know, just fit perfectly. Finding the styles that inform, you know, what you're doing, whether being literal or whether, you know, it's taking you into a world or, or a oh, world of associations. That's for us. It's. I mean, it started with Howard's and my very first musical, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater, and certainly enormously on uh, Little Shop of Horrors, um, and and every project since is I've I, I look for something that allows me to open up to a world, um, and sometimes it's not even my idea. In the case of of Hercules, I thought I was going to do something that was kind of a wink at candide or classical music or you're very because it's greek and greek you know classics and john musker and ron clements thought no he thought maybe gospel go gospel Why? why but it ended up being brilliant um and um and i was i you know again created a world that was different from the little shop world from the sister act world from the I don't know, a Bronx Tale world, which is sort of the music of Belmont Avenue or from Tangled, which is um, folk rock and, and Joni Mitchell. And you go to uh, obviously Hunchback, which is his own world of, of um, Latin liturgy and and French um, classical music and Boulevard and, and Pocahontas, which is clearly of, of, of Indians and English. It was much, very literal pulling on that. And sometimes it's undefined, like to to define what world newsies is not easy. Mm -hmm. It's, it's somewhere between maybe ragtime and R and B. And then it just went where it went and, but it was its own world. So I, yes, I always look for a world that the projects could be in as much as possible.
0: That's fantastic. And it always seems to, like I say, have, it's It's obviously a Mencken sound, but at the same time, it is respectful to the genre that it's coming from. And it, it's just always so wonderful. We absolutely love hearing them. Vanessa, you've got our next question.
3: Yes, well, I'm so glad you mentioned Hercules, because that has to be one of the most fun soundtracks that you can sing along to. Um, When we interviewed Susan Egan, she told us this great behind-the-scenes story about how she was supposed to do a run, and she's like, no, no, I, I really don't do that. And I think it was you that maybe plucked out the notes for her to, to end the song. Uh, so I was wondering, did you have any fun behind the scenes stories? Uh, because it's gospel. I mean, what's more fun than that?
1: <laughs> mm. Well, um, God, there's many I mean, behind, for Hercules in particular, yeah. there's behind the scenes stories for so many of them. Um, I mean, the muses were so great to work with. Um, you know, um, Roz Ryan, Lilius White. Um, they were so wonderful. We had so much fun. Um, and, and working in, you know, with, with these great black choir, you know, uh, gospel influence with black singers and choirs was such a, a joy for me. Now, other behind-the-scenes stories. I can tell you, you know, Roger Bart, to me, is the most incredible voice. Mm-hmm. He is the tenor voice that I, maybe the best tenor voice. And people probably know him, most of the people in the world know him simply as a, an actor in, in movies now. But Roger, oh my God, he could just belt to the stars. And I guess, he, I don't know if you know, but he actually, I actually he played Hades in the Central Park version, the stage version that we did. So fantastic. Um, always wanted to have a, you know, tried to have a, a song for Hades in the movie, but that that never really worked. But the behind the scenes was, yeah, it was just a delight. To, to, um, we I, you know, we had a great song. Initially, we had a song called Shooting Star as the, as a song for Hercules. It was a beautiful song. Um, Really lovely, and it was just too soft. It was too gentle, too much a Disney. I want song, and so I we said you know we need something with more muscle, and it wrote Go the Distance, and that just nailed it.
3: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I do also want to tell you that I some of the songs that you've written just bring me to tears. Songs like Out There, uh, Evermore, Colors of the Wind. And I wanted to ask you, how do you put so much emotion into these songs? What's the structure or strategy when you're given this task?
1: You know, well, I, I try to figure out, obviously, I want to know the character, know what the character wants, know what the moment is for that character. Um, Try to get all the nuances of what you want for that moment. You know, where does the song start? Where does the song end? Um, All of that. And then I try to be as much a conduit as I can and just let it, you know, pour through me. Um, And as it comes through me, go, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, I don't like it. And also, as much as possible, have my collaborator in the room to say, oh, that's good, or, eh. um, Beyond that, I don't know where, you know, where it comes from is um, it's just listening to and feeling the emotion that a piece of music brings up. Music is a vocabulary, so you're, you're drawing on associations that people have with that music, whether it's literal or whether it's subconscious, but it's very powerful. Um, and you can you can always tell the difference between a song is just kind of putting the chords to some uh, some lyrics and having some you know, nice melody to and something that really is pulling from somewhere. Um, and so you always just want to hold out for that quality. And uh, that's what I try to do.
3: Excellent. That's
0: fantastic. fantastic. Brett, I think (laughs) you have our next question.
2: Well, Enchanted is one of my favorite films and being a Disney fan, former cast member and all that. When, when I sat down to, to watch the film, I, for a moment, I was like going, well, what's this going to be like, you know, I was a little nervous, but after like the first moments of the film and the first song, I knew that you uh, well, I knew that, that the film was going to be able to find the perfect balance of gentle and loving parody and a genuine tribute to the songs of, you know, Snow White and other Disney right. classic films. So how were you able to find that balance?
1: Well, that's not just me alone, obviously. First of no. all, Stephen Schwartz is a part. brilliant, brilliant collaborator. And, and Kevin Lima, who directed the original movie, was, was wonderful to work with. Now the the, the um, sequel is coming, and that Adam Shankman is directing that, and S- S- Stephen and I reteamed for that. And it's really wanted, to, first of all, that it, for the opening in Andalasia, really wanted what feels like the world of Snow White, or the world of Cinderella. You, you want to get people right back to that place. So you know, it's working with those vocabularies. You, it's all about homage. You being a very genuine homage to a sensibility that you want to bring to that moment. You always want a, an audience in, in any given song moment to go, Oh, I get it. I get it. You're doing this. Right. Um, they, they want, you want, want them to know because it the vocabulary of a song is very much commenting on. So it, it offers so much subtext to what the words are saying. And it's so powerful I've, I've always been of the opinion that in a really well written song in the context of a musical you should be able to get to the song moment turn off the words just hear the music playing and and get you know, at least 50 percent of what the moment and what the what it's all about just from the choice of
2: music well i well to bring the story and and it was a way that, um, that that brought the audience in and uh, with a little bit of a wink and a little bit of a nudge nudge, and it was wonderful. And Amy, and the whole cast, but especially Amy Adams, was, oh, yeah. uh, just finding the perfect princess. But as you said, you were mentioning um, the disenchanted. Is there anything you can share about your work with that? It's good. I cannot
1: um, wait for it. You're I, going, cannot I, wait I think wait. people are going to love it. It's good. It, it's really good. And I mean, it's got, I think, twice as many songs as the original, and they're all good. Oh, so oh it, wow. Yeah, oh, it's it really, they've let us go whole hog. And it's a great premise, story premise. Um, Amy, again, is amazing. Patrick Dempsey is back. Uh, uh, oh, we have a big song for Adina Menzel, Nancy.
3: Oh, good. And oh, wow. Yes, okay. I know,
1: I know, I know. Yes. <laughs> we tried first time around. We were not able to get it in there. Um, it's really
0: nice of you to be able to bring uh, her voice to the world right a little known <laughs> Idina menzel right yes exactly. <laughs>
1: um jimmy marsden um has, mm-hmm. you know and we have these a bunch of new people um who are singing um, um maya rudolph um is is in it um we have two very really wonderful young talents one play, playing morgan and um a, a new boyfriend so um i think it's wonderful and um and they just finished filming they filmed in dublin and i'm i'm now in the midst of scoring it right now and it's uh, i'm having a ball that's great
2: wonderful. great if you're having a good time we are going to be having yeah, you'll have a good time <laughs> so thank you i promise
3: so Alan, I don't know if you know this, but Lynn manuel Miranda, he has said in uh, at least a couple interviews that I'm aware of uh, that he credits the music you and Howard Ashman wrote in The Little Mermaid, I think specifically uh, Under the Sea as the f- reason for his career uh, because- Oh, I know Lin- this.
1: I've known this very well since Lynn was a little boy. Um, Lynn went to the Hunter's schools uh, in New York and he actually was i don't think he was in the same class as my niece but they were they knew each other and i would hear from my sister all the time there's this boy lynn manuel miranda and he's constantly just bothering jenny about wanting to know details about little mermaid and could could your uncle sign this and could you get tickets for that and he just was so enthusiastic i mean he was just obsessed And of course, now we all, you know, we all know who Little Lin Manuel Miranda is in the world, and that's exactly who he is. Um, He's just the ultimate enthusiast, and you know, he he named his son Sebastian. Um, I guess you probably know that that there are five new songs in the new uh, live action Little Mermaid that I wrote with Lin in in our new collaboration. And we had a great time working together. And yes, I knew very well. Uh, Lynn Manuel, also, Bobby Lopez mm-hmm. w- went to Hunter School. And I actually wrote one of his college recommendation letters. And I think when he finished college, he asked about being my assistant. It's a very small world.
3: Wow. Small world. Hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, We're beyond ahead. the mouse, so you know. Yes, we not yes. get past that, though. So, you know.
1: Um, <laughs> But yeah, it is, it is, you know, it's, um, you know, when my daughter went to Michigan, there it was this, oh, these, this is these two young two writers who are here in Michigan and, and everyone loves their work. It's you just called them Passick and Paul, Passick and Paul. I go, Oh, isn't that great. They're like, they have that name and they're just college students and Passick and Paul here they are. And I, I collaborated with them, you know, ended up collaborating with them on um, the Aladdin movie on Speechless. And again, I love them. Such, such great talents. So it's, yeah, they, I, we planted these seeds that obviously are
0: bearing fruit. Yes, absolutely. Brett, I think you have um, maybe our second to last question.
2: Well, what advice would you give aspiring composers, musicians, or actor singers? Um, I would safely say that it's a shared dream of four because we'll include jeremy disney podcasters who met during community theater to be a part of a singing chorus and an alan manken soundtrack do you have any auditions coming up no just <laughs> kidding <laughs> you know but. okay okay any... good try <laughs> yes go ahead <laughs> <laughs> So, any, any advice that you would give to oh uh, well first of all
1: make sure it's the thing that you want to do every day.
2: Mm.
1: If I mean, because do with your life, the the thing that you want to do every day, that's what you're going to end up doing anyway. Um, never fall in love with your own work, you know, put your love into it and put it out there and then always be ready to throw something out and write something else. Always be ready to just throw it away and write something else. It's bigger than you. It's, it's bigger than you. Write for the characters, write for the story. Do not, unless you're going to be, you know, Bob Dylan or Paul Simon or someone who who is a singer-songwriter who uses their own lives as, as their storyline, it's not about you. It's, it is about the characters. It's about um, the musical. It's about the collaboration and you and other people and giving yourself over to that assignment. Um, never start writing a song until you have really thought out what the song is, what the song, the, the bigger picture of what the song, um, should sound like what world the song is in, what song, if you were going to take a song from somewhere else in the world and just say, that's the, that's the kind of song that should be right there, figure that out before you write it. So you really have all these parameters set up. So you go, okay, I'm going to, now I'm going to turn on the faucet and I'm going into this very specific space. But, you know, I don't expect people to be able to, you know, take this advice and use it right away, but it's, it's a long process, you know, digging for gold and nobody has ever stuck a, you know, very few people, let's put it this way, have ever stuck a shovel into dirt and went, oh, gold, look, (laughs) it's like, you know, it's, it's sunken treasure. It takes a long time to get to it, but Enjoy the journey getting to it.
2: Well, thank you for that answer. It's not only, you know, it's not only um, advice, but it's also life lessons. And we always um, learn and get life lessons from whoever we speak to. So thank you for that. you will.
0: So I have the pleasure of uh, starting to wrap us up,
2: and uh, one of the things that
0: all of us really enjoy is also the Disney parks, and I know that you have been around the parks quite a bit, so we like to do what we call a rapid fire section, but of course you are allowed to, uh, you can give as long of an answer as you'd like, because certainly I am not going to tell you to stop talking, so uh, here is some of the questions that we have for you, so. What okay. is your favorite Disney park attraction?
1: Well, it's gone now. Can I, can I tell ones that are gone, or should I stick absolutely,
2: yes, sir?
1: Yeah. Well, I used to love the Great Movie Ride.
4: Mm.
2: I used yes. to
1: love the Norway Pavilion. Now it's Frozen, which is great, fine, but I used to love Norway. Um, oh my God! There, you know, it's 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 so much. Listen, I loved Splash Mountain. And now, you know, we have to be very, there's a lot of, um, I'm not sure how, what changes have been made, but I know because of Song of the South and the, you know, the racial stereotyping that was a part of it, not intentionally hurtful, but definitely culturally, um, not as, as healthy as it should be. Um, I'm sure some of that has changed, but you know the ride is something. The, you know the feeling of, of, of zippity doo dahs. you just having a day, you know, um, in that whole atmosphere. It's just wonderful. It's it's a, uh, um. Yeah, so many wonderful rides and um, and experiences there. My current uh, used to have uh soaring over.
0: Yes. Hmm.
1: Soaring over California, now it's soaring over the world. Oh. Just don't get me started. There's so much. Uh, okay, fair <laughs> enough.
0: Fair enough. So much. Um, yeah. you said that you're the you're the cook in the house, so we have to ask, what's your favorite Disney food or snack? What's your go-to when you're in the park? Oh, okay, let's see. At Epcot,
1: I love going to the Mexico place, I gotta tell you. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got that, that volcano and you got the boat ride and I am forget- I'm, I'm forgetting thing. them. I'm, for- I'm literally forgetting them. Oh, Any snacks. I love the, um, wait, 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 Um, the California grill with a mm-hmm. few of the parks up there. Yes. Um, my kids love to have breakfast at, um, Kona- Ohana at the Polynesian Kona cafe. Oh, the Kona cafe. Oh, Kona yes. Things like that. It's just, oh, um, yeah. you know, all those little, little wonderful, um, moments. Um, the beauty and the beast, uh, <laughs> dinner, so it's sure. the effects of, there are great. Um, anyway, it's, 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 a lot of such wonderful work. Sure.
0: Absolutely. These two argue all the time. So this is just a really fun question for you. Are you okay <laughs> with Turkey legs in the park? Are you not okay with Turkey legs in the park? Can people consume those? Is that an okay thing for you? I have a big more- Turkey leg. I have no idea what you're referring to. No, oh, okay, okay. Good. There. So it is. It low. is. No, is it an issue? Is it um, really an issue? No, well, it's, it's just, just it's, these two. It's, it's the, our banter. Brett, Brett thinks that they look a little too uh, Renaissance for him. Uh, they, he doesn't And I think they're delicious.
3: Yes, <laughs> I'm more what? of
2: a dull whip person. So I don't know. Anyway, that's is this just staying awesome.
1: on the air. Okay. Well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, no, I'm no, talking like no, no, no. I don't know. Um, there are stacks the Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! Of course, the Japanese pavilion is big. Oh my god! Do I love the Japanese pavilion? Mm-hmm. I think they're actually having now. They're building a, I supposedly a really high class sushi. Um,
2: yes.
3: Yeah.
0: Wow. That I gotta. Always see.
2: something to eat.
0: That so, I gotta see. Yeah. And so last couple of rapid fire questions here. Okay. I'm not going to ask you the uh favorite Disney Renaissance animated film because that would be very difficult for you to say, I'm sure. Um but what's your favorite classic animated film from Disney?
1: <sighs> well, Fantasia. Mhm. I know it doesn't have characters. Um but that it just I think I shook me to my core.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, do you have a particular magic moment that's happened, uh, either in a Disney park or something that just really comes to mind when you think about Disney magic? Or what uh, do you have? Anything that comes to mind?
1: Well, let's see. There is no audience like a Disney audience. They are, they—I mean, their hearts are just so open um and um, you feel protective towards them and and it makes you want to help contribute to that safe space for them and for the world um so there it's a very precious thing. When I first came to Disney, um this was in the eighties. they had just this new regime. You felt it from the top of the company to the person sweeping the, um, you know, the garbage, there was a dedication to the tradition and to the meaning of it and to the essence of it. All, and it was amazing to be a part of that. Um, And please God, that should always remain because it's, it's a very, very, very special thing. And I'm proud that, you know, that the company has, Always maintained also really important social values, and that's you know that that comes from the tradition and from the top and from the people who are involved, um, and the company is going through a, obviously a major change right now. And Bob is Bob Iger moving on, and um, I think I've met Bob Chapek once. Um, I don't remember very well, you know. Now, movies, rather than opening in theaters, opening, you know, in streaming, mm-hmm. a lot has changed. And for those you know of us who still get to you know, continue to work there, more important than ever, just, you know, keep the flame burning. Well,
0: Thanks thank you that. so much for keeping the flame burning for all of us. Uh, we are so uh, blessed to have been able to speak with you today. So thank you. Thank you, guys. Great to talk to you.
3: Everybody Enjoy your well. chicken. Yes, Thank absolutely.
1: <laughs> Enjoy the chicken.
4: Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so Bye. much. Thanks.
0: What an amazing experience that was for all of us to have. You know, it was just so incredible to get to talk to Alan about how he comes to his creative process because we all know the amazing body of work that Alan has produced uh, over many years and the amount of just joy and excitement he's brought into the world through his music. But to find that creative process and to get some of those stories of that creative process was just incredible. I'm going to go to you first, Jeremy. Uh, You did have to dip out a little bit early from the interview. So I just wanted to get your reaction to the time that you were able to spend with Alan Menken.
4: Yeah, it, uh, total dream come true. I apologize to everyone. My son was sick and I had to go and pick him up from school um, right in the middle of the interview. So believe me, when he's a little older, we are going to be having words about that. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, it, it is just one of those things I... Um, <laughs> Got to meet one of my heroes um, in this interview and and talk to him and tell him that he had an impact on my life and and that his art made an impact on my life and continues to and uh, just listening to the rest of the questions um, I just always love the questions that you guys ask and I just love that I got to be a part of that so uh, I'm I'm just blown away and uh, come on back Alan we want we want to talk to you again especially when like Disenchanted's coming out absolutely of
0: course that that invitation is of course always open always uh, open. Vanessa. Vanessa, what were your thoughts of the interview we just had? You seem to have almost a special connection with Alan Menken.
3: We are friends now. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if you could tell. But yeah, no, I just, I really enjoyed hearing what he had to say about his career and his music. But most of all, I loved hearing what his family thinks of him, what his, what he is outside of this career that everybody knows, because at the end of the day, he goes home with his family and- as we found out, he's the cook, and he likes chicken, and we're coming over for dinner, so I hope you prepared a sauce to go with that chicken as well.
0: Absolutely. Brett, your thoughts about the conversation we were able to have the other day?
2: We all we all have egos, but Alan Mankin has an egot for a reason. I mean, he has kindness and joy and the ability to bring all of us together through shared experiences, and I'm so glad we had the opportunity to talk to him, an amazing time. That oh is
0: uh, one thing I wanted to mention is the the how humble Alan is because in researching this, I was listening to a lot of interviews. I was going back and reading a lot on Alan Menken, and he's always so forward with giving credit to other people and to uh, saying things like you know when people bring up his egot, he immediately brings up his Razzie that he won as well. It's just that. Uh, like you were saying, Brett, that like type of friendliness and humble nature that he has that I think uh, makes him just that much more interesting to get to interact with and to talk to because obviously he's a creative genius, but it's also, we got to see a little bit of the human side of him today too, and that's something I truly will never forget. It's been just wonderful getting to talk to Alan Mankin today and to the other (laughs) Disney legends we've had the chance to speak to. Yes, Vanessa?
3: Craig, it is still so crazy to me to hear us say those words. So when we talk to Alan Mankin,
2: what is
3: this life that we what? have this is wild it's sorry wild. sorry to uh, derail you but i mean do you hear yourself saying those words are you so surprised that you're saying those words well
2: we need to be humble too because we're <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know, I, but it's
3: because i'm we're, so surprised i'm just like yeah. a, i i do feel humble in that we are, i'm, we are I'm very so surprised that pictures. he is giving us us his time it's yeah. just so wild that i i just so appreciate it it's it's still bizarre to me that that, an egot winner would would take the time for little old us
4: i don't know i think you guys should lean into it like when the first little mermaid trailer comes out you should just be online and be like hey guys we'll ask alan what he thought of this trailer you know just stand
0: by oh if uh, Definitely. Vanessa has brought that up with other uh, folks that we've interviewed in the past that maybe the name dropping uh, will probably continue for a while, but it has been just incredible. You know, if you are brand new to the podcast, we've had so many exceptional experiences, especially in this past 18 months or so interviewing people from around the Disney company, including now Alan Menken was our seventh. Disney legend that we were able to uh, interview, which is just incredible to think about and mind-blowing truly. So if you want to go back and listen to those interviews, please find Beyond the Mouse on any podcast platform of your choice uh, and certainly check all of those episodes out. We do also just have fun with usually the three of us. Jeremy was kind of a special co-host today, but the yeah, three I, don't, of us I do... don't
4: get in on the fun. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's right. Uh, oh, yeah. We do Disney drafts. We do uh, Disney park news. We talk all things about the parks. Uh, We talk a lot about Will Turner, apparently. Now that's a thing. So,
3: (laughs) if you haven't listened to our recent draft on Heroes, please do yourself a favor and go Uh listen to that episode. Did somebody
4: take Will Turner before Captain Jack Sparrow? Uh, yes. You'll just ha- you, I know that we are recording this prior
0: to the release, uh, Jeremy, but this is a must listen. I will have to tell you that that <laughs> Disney draft episode, I have never laughed harder while editing a podcast, uh, but truly thank you again uh, to Alan Mankin for uh, the opportunity to speak to him today and just for that amazing impact that he's put out into the world. If you do want to continue to follow us on social media, you can also find us on beyond the mouse pod. Uh, on instagram also beyond mouse on twitter and beyond the mouse podcast on facebook we also do have a facebook group beyond the mouse podcast pals They are going to be the first people to learn about our conversation with Alan Mankin. So definitely go and check out that group. We love interacting and talking to our listeners as well. And you can even help us decide what content we go to next as far as conversations we get to have amongst the three of us. It's just really been such a fun and great ride on the show. And we want to keep that energy and that momentum going. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? Brett, I'll go to you first.
2: It's really hard to put into words um, what that experience was like because it was just so amazing and I am so thrilled and so excited with this interview and so many of the other interviews and that uh, we have this opportunity to talk to some amazing people that have impacted our lives, our personal lives, and then also our Disney fan lives. Oh my gosh.
4: Okay, Jeremy, your final thoughts. Uh, just an incredible man, incredible interview. And uh, when are you guys getting Bob Iger on the on the horn here? <laughs> I don't know about any of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you mean Robert? <laughs> Robert, we're, we're, yes. we're going to have
3: a chicken sometime soon. I'm <laughs> sure. Your good friend
4: Robert, yes, oh have him gosh. over. <laughs> oh boy.
3: Uh, for me, Craig, I'm just curious if Alan serves a starch with the chicken. If it's all vegetables on the side, I just mm. want to know what I'm going to be in for. When I, when we all finally show up to dinner uh, for that chicken, I know we're kind of invited ourselves, but you know, if the door's open, (laughs) it's just solid, uh, Solid I will
0: say that uh, was, that was a moment for sure uh, in the conversation. So thank you for allowing us to experience that moment together. So for beyond the mouse, I am Craig.
3: I'm Vanessa. I'm
0: Brett. I'm Jeremy. And we will see you real soon in the front row. Probably in the front row of Disenchanted and The Little Mermaid. We have so uh, much Alan Menken coming up into the that'll world. that so uh. exciting. I can't wait.